Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here, excited that people are joining us online. We know lots of people are gone on uh, fall break, uh, again, enjoying their time at the beach or at Dollywood or wherever it is that you go. We welcome you. We hope you're joining us by Facebook Live either right now or you're going to join us later. So if you will, take a moment and share this, not just for, watch it from our page, but share it to your page. And if you're in the audience here and you have your cell phone and you can go ahead and do that yourself and then put your cell phone down. Okay, so again, go ahead and do that. Well, today is week two of our series, Thoughts, Threads, and Trends. And we started this series last week by actually saying it's really interesting when you talk about the Bible because many people see the Bible as just like a bunch of books that have been put together. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is that the Bible is actually telling one story. 66 books telling one story, and that story is how Jesus is redeeming the world. And it's really interesting because when you look at the Bible, you start to see these thoughts and these threads and these trends that are woven all through those 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, you see all of those different things that the Bible is just kind of conveying in and out of those different books. And one of the things that we said last week that we see over and over in Scripture are numbers. Again, you think about numbers and your life. Uh, you think about numbers and how they apply, Tennessee 40, LSU 13. So there's some numbers right there. Uh, uh, again, uh, Alabama 24, uh, Texas A&M 20. I mean, we, we have all of these numbers in our life. And again, it's not just in life. It's actually in Scripture. And last week we started, I, I love numbers. I love the Hebrew and numbers and meanings and uh, but one of the things that we said last week, we're going to look at the number three and how the number three is actually found in Scripture. And we started last week by looking at a very popular, very familiar story, the story of Jonah, who experienced probably the most epic three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And today we're going to continue that. And some of you are looking at me and you're looking at the stage and you're saying, oh, I have seen this before. And you have. Uh, I've taught on this before. I told somebody who had not seen this this past week, I said, I'm going to be using an illustration that I have used before. And I don't like doing that necessarily, but I'm going to use an illustration that I have used before. But clearly, I'm going to say this to you right now. I need to use this illustration again because I guess the last time I used it, it didn't take. So we need to go there again. And we're going to look again at the number three and I'm going to use three chairs, just like you see on the stage in front of me. Because here's the truth. You're going to live your life, spiritually speaking, and you're going to live your life sitting in one of these three chairs. That's just the truth. And one of the things that I have done, I have taken the liberty... Of, of attaching a word to each one of these chairs. And these words that you're going to see in just a moment are actually words that you could use or that I have used for me to describe your spiritual life. So this morning, if you're a note taker, you'll want to, over the course of this message, you'll want to write down these three words. Here's the first word. The first word in the first chair is what I call the chair of commitment. Now, here's the thing. The, the, the person that sits in this chair isn't perfect, spiritually speaking. This isn't a perfect person. But the person that sits in the chair of commitment has just recognized that, you know what, there's a need for God in my life. And, and the person in chair number one has made the choice to invite Jesus into their life and let Jesus be the forgiver of their sins and the Savior of their life. And I'll tell you this morning, the person who sits in chair number one isn't a fan of Jesus. They are a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And they're the people, the people in chair number one, that you're going to find on their knees. You're going to find them on their knees. You're going to find them in the trenches. Because these people are the people who are consistently praying for God to show up. 
These are the people who are opening their Bible on a regular basis. And the reason they open their Bible, listen to me, is because they're asking God to speak to them. These are the people who, who are praying that in some way, however he deems necessary, that God uses them. These are the people who, they, they, they are sacrificial, they are generous, and they use their gifts, and they serve, and they volunteer, and they unleash compassion in our world today. And chair one people are thankful for God and what God has done in their life. And chair one people are passionate about other people finding God. A chair one person is just so, you know, it's so, they're just so full of joy that that joy can't do anything but spill out. That's chair number one. That's the chair of commitment. Here's chair number two. It's the chair of compromise. Now, th this is the person who sits in this chair that they claim they follow Jesus, and, may, and maybe they do, but, but, you know, and maybe you could look back at their life, and one day, you know, they walked down or they made a commitment to follow Jesus. But, but when you look at their life, it, they, they, seem, they, see, they just seem to have gotten off track because there's no transformation. There's no change in the way that they're living their life. There's, there's no fruit in their life. Here's chair number three. Chair number three is what I call the chair of complacency. Now, the chair of complacency is, is really a person who doesn't have any spiritual interest. They, they just, they're not occupied. Their life is just not occupied by the spiritual things. And again, I, you know, when I think about a chair three person, I, I might say to you this morning, a chair three person might be what you call an agnostic. They, they might be an atheist. And you know what? They might be 17-year-old. They might be 37-year-old. They might be 77 years old. But spiritually speaking, when it comes to their spiritual life, they're just complacent. Now, here's the thing. These are the three chairs. And remember, we're looking at what the Bible says about the number three. And chair number one is the chair of commitment. Chair number two is the chair of compromise. And chair number three is the chair of complacency. And here's the thing. This is the kicker. When you look in the Scripture, you see all three of these chairs mentioned specifically. The chair of commitment, the chair of compromise, and the chair of complacency. And what I find really interesting is that if we look in the Old Testament, we see all three of these chairs in the life of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. We can see how Joshua was a chair one person. T take a minute and look at what he says. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. It'll be on the screen behind me, and, and you just follow along. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Again, you read that, and it's pretty apparent that, that Joshua is talking, or what is being talked about, is a chair one person. What he's saying is about chair number one. But then he goes on. Look, look, look at the next verses. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose, who, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, look at what it says. But as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. Chair one is about commitment. L listen, listen. It's not fuzzy. Chair number one is not about a fuzzy factor. It's not about waffling back and forth. 
But it's declaring, this person right here and what we saw in the Scripture, it's declaring, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to be committed to God. But I want you to notice something. If you look at Joshua and what we just read, and, and you go a few pages to the right, you start to see how the, the commitment of the Israelites started to shift, and it shifted in a very subtle way. Look at Judges 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all of the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Now, again, I'm going to ask Bo, Bo, if you'll just keep that up there just a moment. And you read that, and let me tell you, from where you're sitting in your perspective, you, you may read that and you don't see anything changing. You don't see any change. But the thing that you need to, have, you need to understand that was happening here is, is there is a new generation and this new generation has come along. And this new generation, they have not seen all of the things that the Lord had done for Israel. In other words, they didn't experience the things that God had done. It happened to Joshua. It happened to those who came before them. But I want you to look, I want you to look, look right here, look right here. I want you to look at how quickly they moved. They slide right over from chair number one, the chair of commitment, right over to the chair of complacency. They've gone from a chair one person who says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, to now they're people who did not know the Lord nor did they know what he had done for Israel. And instead of worshiping the Lord, they worshiped false gods. It happened like that. Boom, boom. And we look at that and we hear about this and we say, how could that possibly happen? But I'm going to tell you, listen. Listen. It's happening in our world, in our country, in our community right now. Because I don't know what statistics you look at, but parents, listen to me. Just everybody listen to me. Statistics will tell you that 70, per eight, 70 to 80% of the seniors who graduate from high school, once they graduate from high school, they fall away from God. So we say, how does that happen? Well, I'll tell you, chair number one people, they, they personally know God. Chair two people, they, they kind of know about God. But chair three people is a generation who doesn't know God at all. They don't know anything about God. The shocking part of this story that we're looking at with Joshua is that God had done so many miracles for Israel. But then there's this whole generation that comes behind Joshua, and they don't know anything about the things that God had done. They didn't even know how God had released the Israelites from slavery. They didn't experience how God parted the Red Sea so they could leave Egypt and go through the Red Sea. They didn't know about how the manna came down every day and they ate that manna. They didn't understand. They didn't realize. They didn't experience drinking from a rock. How they were guided by a cloud that was in the sky in the day and, a, and, and fire by night. They didn't experience the crumbling of the walls at Jericho before they entered the promised land. See, God had done all of these amazing things for Israel. But then there comes a generation who doesn't know anything 
about all the miracles that God had done. It's spiritual erosion. And I'll tell you this morning, I don't think you have to look in the Old Testament to see that spiritual erosion happening. Just look in this church. If you want to see this very thing that we're talking about from the Old Testament happening, just look in our church. If you want to see it, look at your own family. If you want to see spiritual erosion happening, then take the time this morning just to look at your own life. Here's what I want to do. I want to contrast these three chairs with your life, with my life. I want to contrast these with three different, well, not with three, but with these three chairs with different areas of our lives. And here's the first area. Let me, let me put it up so that you can see it, so that you have clarity when I talk about this. Which chair are you in when it comes to who's sitting on the throne of your life? Who's the leader of your life? Which, which chair are you in? Well, when it comes to chair number one, that, that person, there's no doubt who the leader of their life is. Who's on the throne of their life? The leader of their life is God. I mean, they look at their life or you look at their life, and there's no doubt that God comes first. Because in, in this person's life, the chair of commitment, chair number one, I mean, when you talk about money, you talk about career, you talk about school, you talk about grades, God is always first. God is always more important than family, than all the other things. They put all of those things under God because God is their leader. God is their king. So everything comes under God. Now, let me tell you, I was lucky enough to be raised in a chair one home. That's the chair that my parents, you know, that was the example that they set, they set for me. There was no doubt that God was the priority in our home. But see, here's what happens. Even though I was raised in a chair one home, there comes a time when I have to choose. I have to choose which chair I'm going to sit in myself. And if you don't make the choice to sit in chair number one, you're going to sit in chair number two, possibly. And here's the thing that's interesting about chair number two. There are actually two people who sit in this chair. It's me and it's God. There's God and me. So depending on the circumstances, depending on what's happening in life, it could go back and forth. You know, I, again, depending on if I'm tired or if it's raining or if it might storm. Depending on if the Titans are playing at noon. I might not go to church. So you just slide over from the chair of commitment into the chair of compromise. But God, but listen, God's trying to do something. God is trying to lead you. God is trying to, to nudge you. God tries to convict you. But you can't hear him simply because you're not sensitive to what he's doing in your life. And can I just say something this morning? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean my booty is stuck in chair number one. Just because I lead a church doesn't mean my John Brown hind parts are always going to be in chair number one. Because I'm going to tell you this morning, I have spent a good portion of my life, actually 17 years of my life, actually sitting in chair number two. But here's what happens when you're in chair number two. If you're one of those people who are sitting in the chair of compromise and, and you want to feel better about yourself, you know what you do? You, you don't look at the people who are sitting in chair number one. If you are in this chair, the chair of compromise, 
you're going to look at the people who are sitting in chair number three. And you're going to compare yourself to those people. Because if you are sitting in chair number two and you look at the people who are in the chair of complacency, it's going to make you feel better about your spiritual life if you compare yourself to these people. It'll just make you feel better. Now, here's the thing. This morning, if you're wondering, if you're sitting in chair number two, I'm going to give you some questions that will help you understand clearly if you're sitting in chair number two. Don't answer it out loud. Just think, to, think about this to yourself. If you want to know if you're sitting in chair number two, ask yourself this question. If God were to pull out of my life completely, would I even notice he was gone? Is there any area of my life where I am totally dependent on God? Answer those questions, and the answers to those questions will let you know if you're sitting in chair number two. Now, the nice thing about chair number three and who is on the throne of your life and the leader of your life is this. There's just no hypocrisy. If we're talking about who's the leader of your life and who's sitting on the throne of your life, and we're talking about chair number three, there's no hypocrisy. Because for the chair three person, the person that's on the throne of their life is just them. It's, it's just me. It's all about me. It's all about my desires. It's all about my stuff. It's all about my agenda. It's all about what I want to do with my life. The chair three person, it's all about my selfishness. It's all about my goals. Because again, the person who is sitting on the throne of the chair number three is me. It's me. It's my agenda. It's all about me. So let me ask you, Crossroads, and those watching online, listening online, which chair are you sitting in when it comes to who is the leader of your life. Let's look at another area. Here's the next one. Which chair are you in when we talk about your connection with God? I mean, think about your connection with God. Because the person who sits in chair number one, the chair of commitment, they would describe their connection with God as a relationship. I mean, it's a relationship. They have a tight relationship with God. God is not some cold, you know, impersonal, distant God out there. But they would tell you, this person would say, you know what? I have a personal relationship with God, and I interact with God on a daily basis, and I walk with God on a daily basis, and I talk with God on a daily basis, and daily I'm listening to hear God's voice. That's chair number one. But here's the thing. Chair number two, the person who is sitting here, they think about their connection with God as kind of like religion. It's just religion. Because to them, it's all about rules. It's all about regulations. It's all about, well, I can do this and I can't do that. The chair two person would say it's a relation. It's, 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 it's just something that has to be endured. It's not a personal relationship that I can enjoy. And if you're sitting in this chair, chair number two, the chair of compromise, church is like what I have to do. It's a duty. And you sit in the chair of compromise, and listen to me, you go to church for years, but then we look at your life, and your life has never changed. There's no fruit. There's no transformation. You know what Jesus called these people, the people of compromise? Jesus used his strongest words for religious people, and I love this. Because he called those of us who sit in the chair of compromise, he called us hypocrites. He used different words. But he was describing the people of chair number two. Now, for chair number three, when you, when you think about a connection with God, 
I, I guess really the best word to describe those people when you talk about their relationship with God is to use the word rebellion. They don't have room for God, or they've turned their back on God. They don't want anything to do with God. And when it comes to God, they, they might say, you know what, I am okay right now living my life sitting in the lounge chair of life. You, you notice these, these are more comfortable when you get over here to complacency. Because that chair can be really, really comfortable. They're willing to take a chance. They're willing to roll the dice so they can make it through this life into the next life without God. But let me warn you, if you're sitting in the the chair of complacency, chair number three, The longer you sit here, the more comfortable it's going to get. And the more comfortable this chair gets, the harder it's going to be for you to get out of that chair. Now, let's look at the difference between these chairs when it comes to the Bible. Now, think about this. Think think about this. How do these chairs look when it comes to the Bible? Well, here's the thing. A a chair one person, a person of commitment, they submit to the Bible. A a, a chair one person will will take their Bible and they will open their Bible and they will say, God, speak to me. God, lead me. God, speak to me. God, convict me. They, They will open their Bible and say, God, I don't want just head knowledge, but I want to be changed by the pages of your word. I want to be changed by the Bible. But then you come to chair number two, and a chair number two person, when it comes to, you know, thinking about how does this chair look with the Bible, you know, how does it, how does it think when it comes to the Bible? A chair number two thinks, uh, a person thinks, you know what, the Bible's important, it's a good book, but they would put the Bible right up there with Oprah and Dr. Phil, or whoever the, you know, the talking heads are of today. In the first service, I said, you know, I, when I think of talking people, uh, talk show people, I still think of Sally Jesse Raphael. Anybody remember her and those glasses? I just loved her glasses. I mean, I, mean I, I always liked her, but anyway, I know she's not even around anymore. But that's what they would do with the Bible. They, they would put the Bible right there with people like Oprah and Dr. Phil, somebody like that. But what about chair number three? I'll tell you about chair number three. Chair number three, that person, they probably own a Bible. They have probably never opened it because they see the Bible is probably irrelevant to their life. It's just an old, antiquated book that has no bearing on their life. And honestly, they kind of treat it like a book of fairy tales. And, 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 and again, I said this last week for, those, for the benefit of those that weren't here. The interesting thing to me about the story of Jonah is that I believe the story of... Now, again, you can, you can chastise me all you want. You can send me a, a, a dirty text message or email or whatever you want. But I believe the story of Jonah happened. I mean, I, I don't understand how it happened. I don't understand how a fish swallowed him and he survived three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. I don't understand that. But you know what? There's a lot about the Bible I don't understand. There's a lot about God I don't understand. But you know what? I still believe. That's what it's called, faith. And I have pastor friends who said, you know what, that didn't happen. It's just a a metaphorical story that's being told. But you know what, I'm not going to go with that. I'm going to go with God. Because I believe it happened like the Bible says it happened. But a chair three person would say, you know what, those stories, they're not relevant to my life. But let me tell you this. This is so important because your view of the Bible is going to end up shaping everything in your life. Let me tell you this. You tell me what your view of the Bible is, and I can automatically tell you which chair you're sitting in. You just tell me how you view the Scripture, and I can tell you whether you're in chair number one, chair number two, or chair number three. 
tell me your view of the Bible, and I can tell you what your view is as it relates to the church and how you view the church. I can tell you that because a chair one person looks at the church and they view the church as like this supernatural community of faith that they just can't wait to get to. Because they see the church as a place where, where God moves and where God changes people's lives. Let me tell you, first chair people don't just go to church. They understand that they are the church. They understand that there's a difference between going to church and being the church. They understand, people of commitment, people in chair number one, they understand that the church is the place where sinful, messed up people come together because those sinful, messed up people desperately need God's grace. And at church, they find it. And they extend that grace to each other. Let me tell you, a chair one person doesn't hesitate getting involved because they understand that they're doing life together. And, and doing life together, that's where they're going to grow. That's where they're going to get involved. That's where they're going to serve. Now, that's chair number one. Chair number two kind of looks at the church as a club. Chair number two people see church as a place where, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to get there and I'm going to network and I'm going to get some names and I'm going to be able to get some leads. Some of you single men and women, it's a place where I can meet chicks, you know, I can meet other men. Some of you, I mean, I, I mean I, I, let me tell you, that's okay. But a chair two person looks at it as a club. Chair two people show up to church without ever taking that mask off, without ever doing life with other people. They never volunteer, they never give, they never serve. It never enters their mind to get involved, to take off the mask, because again, they look at the church as just a club. Now, chair number three people see the church as like a custom. It's a ritual. It's just, it, it's, 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 you know, if I go at all, the chair number three people say, you know what, I'm going to go at Christmas or I'm going to go at Easter. And then we're going to go out to Cracker Barrel and we're going to have pancakes and mimosas. I mean, whatever. I have no problem with either of those. I mean, honestly, but I mean, you know, I, I just don't understand I, that one I don't get. I mean, I mean, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So anyway, I don't understand that. But anyway, but, but, but again, for the chair number three person, church, church is, is like just a tradition. It's a nice custom, but it doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any power. Tell me how you view the Bible. And I can tell you which chair you're sitting in. I can tell you what you think about the church. Now, here's the last thing. Let's look at the last thing. The last thing is this. When it comes to these chairs, how do these chairs relate to you as a parent raising your child? How do these chairs relate to raising our children? Well, I'll tell you. For instance, chair number one, they want to raise a godly child. That's their desire, to raise godly children. The parent who sits in chair number one wants their child to know God and to serve God and to love God and to ultimately yield their life to God. Let me tell you, the parent who sits in chair number one, their greatest satisfaction is hearing their child Ask God, God, how do you want to use my life? That's the parent of commitment, chair number one. The greatest satisfaction is hearing their, their child say, God, how can you use my life? They want to raise committed kids. 
committed to God. Now, chair number two, if you're a parent sitting in chair number two, you want to raise good kids. Good kids. I want my kids to make good choices. I want my kid to stay out of jail. Make good choices, stay out of jail, and ultimately... A, a, a chair two parent would say, you know what, I want my child to find a place somewhere to volunteer and serve and be a part of the community. Do something with their life that matters. A chair two parent says, you know what, I want to raise good kids. Good kids, but chair number three wants to raise successful kids. The parent who sits in chair number three wants to raise successful kids. It's all about success. It's all about their grades. It's all about their schools. It's all about their career. It's all about the right stuff. It's getting into the, the job that makes the big money. Because, again, the chair of complacency is all about stuff. It's all about the things. Now, think about this, because I'm going to go back to the Scripture. The same thing happened with King David. I mean, King David was a chair one person. Who was he? He was a man after God's own heart. But he had a son named Solomon who was a chair two kid. See, Solomon got messed up and, and he married all of these other women and had relationships with all of these other women who followed these other women, followed other gods. And then Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam wasn't a, a chair two child. He was a chair three child who was evil and rebelled against God and did ungodly things. And parents, I'm going to just challenge you. If you've got the guts to do this, ask your child. Which one of these chairs they think you're sitting in as a parent? You're going to have to have some guts to ask that. Ask your child which, I don't care how old your child is, whether they're 17 or 57. Ask them which one of these chairs that they think you're sitting in. And you know what? They'll tell you because they, they got no BS filter. They're going to tell you exactly what they think. They'll tell you which chair they think you're sitting in. And parents, you need to hear me. If you're a chair two parent, you can really confuse your kids spiritually. Because they don't know which way you're facing. You see, one of the things that's interesting in this, and there are exceptions is that chair one parents usually raise chair one kids. But one of the things that's surprising is this. Chair two parents usually raise chair three kids. That's surprising, isn't it? But a, a parent who sits in the, in the chair of compromise usually raises a, chair, a child who sits in the chair of complacency. Chair two parents usually raise chair three children. But see, here's the thing. Kids look at a, the, the chair of, number, of, of the second chair, the chair of compromise, and when they look there, they see hypocrisy. The hypocrisy of a parent. And they look at their parent and they say, you know what, I'm just going to go over here because over here, at least I can be myself. At least I can be real. At least I can be true to myself. At least I can be authentically me. I'm not going to be the hypocrite that my parent is. I'll just be me, but I'll be in this chair number three, the chair of complacency. And that's scary. So this morning, if you are here as a parent, and if you hear nothing else that I say, 
hear this. The best way for you as a parent to raise a chair one kid is for you to be a chair one parent. If you want to raise kids who are committed, then you need to be committed as a parent. Be a chair one mom. Be a chair one dad. And let me just say this. I mean, I didn't even have this in my notes, but I thought about it in the first service. Many of you as grandparents are raising grandchildren. Be a chair one grandmother. Be a chair one grandfather to help raise those grandchildren. Let, let me apply this now. I, I want to talk to those of you who are sitting in these three chairs. First, let me talk to the people who are in chair number one. If you've been sitting in chair number one, if you think you're sitting in chair number one, and, and this morning you, you were like, oh man, this is just, and I, I don't say this like it's going to sound, but this is such a good message, this is such a great message. I, I know five people who needed to hear this message. If that's you and you think you're sitting in chair number one, I'm going to tell you, if that's what you thought, there's a little spiritual pride there. And honestly, this morning, if you said that, if you said, I know five people who need to hear this message, I'm going to tell you, you might not be in that chair. And I'll tell you why you might not be in that chair. Because you see, people who sit in chair number one, the chair of commitment, they have this amazing degree of humility. And they realize that if it were not for the grace of God, I couldn't be here. Jesus had these words to say in, in, in what is sort of a convicting way. Look, look at Luke 9, verse 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice that there is a choice that a chair one person has to make every day in their life. Because here's the thing. Listen, listen to me this morning. You don't just choose chair one and stay there for the rest of your life. I know that. Because I spent lots of time in chair number two. You have to choose daily. So this morning, if you think that you are a chair one person, I'm going to tell you, I have a word for you this morning. If you think you are somebody who is seated in chair number one, and here's the word I have for you. The word I have for you is recommit. Reaffirm, recommit every day right now that you're going to be a follower of Jesus because that's what you have to do. Deny yourself every day and follow Jesus. If you think you're a chair one person, the word I have for you is recommit. Now today, some of you know that you're sitting in this chair. Deep down, you just know you're sitting in chair number two. And chair number two, let me just tell you, is a dangerous place because, again, it's the place that I think most of us get caught. I know that, again, because I spent 17 years in that chair. As a matter of fact, I have both a haunting and chilling verse that describes chair two people perfectly. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15. Here's what it says. Look, look behind me. It should be on the screen. These are the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold. In my most southern vernacular, I'm going to say this in the words of Jesus. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You know why Jesus is going to spit you out of his mouth? Because that's not what you're called to. You're not called to be lukewarm. You're not called to compromise. You're not called to live a middle-of-the-road kind of faith. Jesus said that if you're going to follow him, don't do that in a lukewarm manner. 
Jesus said, give me everything. Nothing less than everything. But you know what you try to do? You try to do the same thing I do. You try to give him less. And knowing that we would try to give Jesus less, he gave us a picture. Look, look at the picture that's found in Luke 14. Here's what he says. He said, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. And then it's thrown out. And you know what you think? That Jesus is using some just cute analogy here. But you know what Jesus is actually doing? He's addressing those of you and me who refuse to give him everything. Those who don't follow him with everything. Those who don't follow him all the way. He's saying that half-hearted, lukewarm followers are just useless. That it sickens our soul. That kind of salt isn't even good enough for the manure pile. So how do you want to get to heaven and say, God, and God say to you, you know what? You weren't even good enough for the manure. You were so bad at following Jesus, you would ruin the manure. I mean, think about that. And chair two people need to understand that the goal is not just to lead a mediocre life and barely escape the flames of hell and like Indiana Jones, slide under the gates of heaven. That's not what it's about. Listen to what I'm about to say. My passion for all of you is that you would become this person. That you would become a chair one person. Because one day I'm going to stand in front of God and I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be held accountable for everything that I taught and how I led. And what I called you to as a teacher of God's Word. And I would hate for, to hear God say, you know, Randy... You had a great building and that fog machine and those lights and that keyboard. I mean, it was just amazing. I just, I, but those people, they were terrible. I'm going to have to spit them out of my mouth. See, for me to have to hear that would be really bad. So this morning, you can take what I've said. You can take these three chairs. You can do whatever you want with it. But you know what? My conscience is clear because I've said it. And I've warned you about ru ruining the manure. I've warned you about that. So you take these three chairs and you take what I've said and you go home and you smoke it. You do whatever you need to do with it. But my conscience is clear. Because God, honestly, let me tell you what God would want. God would rather you sit here than there. God would rather you sit here than there. Because when you sit here, you know what? You don't have to live your life and be a hypocrite. You can authentically be who you really are. So today, if you're sitting in chair number two, you know what? I have a word for you. And the word I have for you is the word repent. Repent simply means to turn back to God, recalibrate your life. Slide back over into chair number one and say, you know what? I'm going to be a committed person. I'm going to live in a committed relationship with God. Now, let me speak to those who are sitting in chair number three. Here's the thing. If you're sitting in chair number three, don't be ashamed. Because this is a church for you. We made this church for you. If you're sitting in the chair of complacency, you're welcome here. We exist for you. And you may be skeptical and you may be doubtful and you may have questions. But you know why? You know what? That's the reason why we do series like this, Thoughts, Threads, and Trends. That's why we do things like this. If you're sitting in chair number three, here's the thing I want you to know. God's arms are wide open for you today.
He's, his arms are wide open. And regardless of where you are, regardless of what you did last night, God is always ready to receive you. And you may think because you're sitting in chair number three that the thing I have for you, the challenge I have for you is to move from chair number three back over here to chair number two. But that's not what I'm asking today. If you're sitting in chair number three, I'm going to ask you to do this. Jump over chair number two and land in chair number one. Because the word I have for you is this. The word I have for you is the word receive. I want you to receive the gift of Jesus into your life today. Why would I want you to receive the gift of life that Jesus has for you today? Because the Bible says that today, listen, listen, today is the day of salvation. It doesn't say tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. It doesn't say next week. It says today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It says today because today is the day of salvation. Receive the gift of Jesus. See, for a, listen, listen. For a gift to be a gift, it has to be received. So how about it? How about all of us, every one of us this morning, watching, listening, in the room? How about all of us making a commitment? That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we will commit to being people of commitment. We'll commit this morning to be chair one people. I will commit to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Following the one who gave me everything. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning, please? God, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. God, we thank you for this, what I think is a very powerful illustration, God, that it wasn't even my idea. I just kind of saw somebody do something similar and I just stole it from them. Because I think it speaks directly to each one of our lives. Because we're going to spend our life in one of those chairs, the chair of commitment, the chair of compromise, or the chair of complacency. The question is, which one are we in? Or will we change today if we're not a person of commitment? And will we come to you asking you to do in our lives what only you can do? God, we trust you for that. That you are faithful and true to forgive our sins. And that we will turn from our wicked ways and come to you and follow you and receive the gift of salvation because today is that day. It's the day of salvation. God, would you do in our lives this morning what we trust you to do? By your spirit, would you touch us? Would you speak to us? Will you heal us? And would you lead us as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name? Amen.
this out together. Oh, what a Savior. that jump back 